Hello listeners everywhere! Welcome to the Archive of Audio Antiquities, a voyage into the vault of wonders on the wireless. In a moment, Simon Exton and Ken Moss will be here to speak to you. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome back to the Archive of Audio Antiquities. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And this time we're listening to the BBC television soundtrack of the Doctor Who adventure, The Mythmakers. The Temple of Zeus, <laughs> A trifle modest, is it not, for so powerful a god? This is my travelling temple. Being small, it's convenient. <laughs> you shall not enter. Certainly not. In any case, I must be off. Oh, then will you not stay with us? No, I, uh... What? You will to the Grecian camp. If you indeed be Zeus, we have need of your assistance. Now, do not call their lives. Zeus is on our side, so Agamemnon keeps insisting. Bear him up and let us carry him in triumph to the camp. I am quite capable of walking. Odysseus, Hmm? I claim the honour to escort him. Let him walk to camp with me. You shall have honour enough. Maybe we shall have a little of the truth. I am going after him. I'm sure he's been taken prisoner. Oh, come on. The big man was laughing. Didn't look as though the doctor made a joke. Anyway, we don't even know where we are. The doctor said there were Greeks. We're probably in Greece. Oh, but that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? We might meet the heroes. We might... Those men who carried off the doctor wouldn't be heroes or anything like them. Simon, I know that you're really fond of this. Do you want to give us a brief rundown of what it's about? Well... Allow me to read from the radiotimes.com. Oh, splendid. Storyline. Four episode story starring William Hartnell, Peter Purvis, and Maureen O'Brien in her final role as Vicky and Adrienne Hill, introduced as Katerina. Ran between the 16th of October 1965 to the 6th of November 1965. And the storyline is landing outside the ancient city of Troy, to which the Greeks have laid siege for a decade, the travellers soon become separated. The doctor, initially mistaken for Zeus, is taken to the Greek camp. Stephen follows him, and the TARDIS containing Vicky is transported to Troy. The Greeks force the Doctor to devise a way of conquering their enemies, while Vicky, christened Cressida by King Priam, must prove she is not a spy. The Greeks enter the city via the Doctor's Trojan horse, and the Doctor and an injured Stephen, leaving the TARDIS with Katerina, a Trojan handmaiden. Vicky stays behind with Priam's son Troilus, with whom she's fallen in love. Well, that's a nice canned... I quite like that. We should do that more often. I've only just found this, to be honest, so... I like that a lot. The Mythmakers is one of those serials that's... Really, it's a bit overlooked by fandom. And it's been years since I've listened to the CD of this. Uh, I've got the complete collection of what, at the time, were missing episode CDs from the BBC. It's not one that I've really gone back and listened to, but I've got to say... I've been really, really pleasantly surprised. I know that you've had fonder memories of it than I have. I kind of have and haven't. I mean, when I was a baby Doctor Who fan, this was very much a, well, it's a 60s historical and therefore not as interesting as the sci-fi stuff. That was before we actually got to see just how good things like the Aztecs and the Romans were. Mm. Now, there's a little trio of sort of comedy historicals with the Romans, the Mythmakers and the Gunfighters, all of which are entertaining in their way. 
the Romans I really like. The gunfighters I'm a little bored by because I'm not particularly interested in cowboys and Indians. And I know there aren't any Indians in the gunfighters, but I'm not particularly interested in cowboy stuff. And the Mythmakers was just kind of in between the two. And yeah, it's there and we'll focus on the Daleks that come after it and the Chumblies that come before it. That's not a bad appraisal, actually. Yeah. It's actually getting more of a recognition these days as to just how good it is. And that's down to things like the Missing Episodes podcast, which has done a superb episode on the Mythmakers. I think we've recommended it as our podcast the week before we have, now. Yeah. Any of their episodes are well worth listening to, but their Mythmakers episode is well worth listening to. I think there's a reappraisal of just how good the Mythmakers is. Now, it does fall a bit because it has very little in the way of existing visual material. There's some production stills. There's no tele-snaps. There's some 8mm off-air recordings, which actually don't capture the more exciting bits of the story. And, you know, those of us who are fans in the 80s, an awful lot of us got our fan knowledge from the 25th anniversary Radio Time special that came out at the same time as The Five Doctors. Which, in retrospect, doesn't always give the best viewing of things. For example, in this season, it says that The Gunfighters is widely regarded as the worst Doctor Who story ever. Well, it's not actually the worst Doctor Who story in that month because it came after the <laughs> Celestial Toymaker. So although that's what I was brought up as a baby fan to believe, actually, it's not really true. So I really like the fact that there is a recent reappraisal of The Mythmakers. I've had the CD for ages and ages. I haven't listened to it in a good few years. I remember enjoying it when I listened to it last time. I've listened to it a couple of times in preparation for this podcast and really enjoy And particularly on the second listening, you pick up so much more. But that's yeah. true for an awful lot of Doctor Who stuff. And an awful lot of stuff in general. You rewatch episodes of The Avengers, you will see things that you haven't seen first time around. You rewatch episodes of Out of the Unknown, you will see things that you haven't seen first time around. You re-listen to episodes around the horn, there will be things that you don't pick up on first time around. That's a re-listening thing. And this really pays. This is a great little story. I would love to see this, particularly having had a look at the production stills. The horse looks great. The Greek camp, the Trojan scenes, it all looks marvellous. I would love to be able to see this because I think it's one of those where if it were rediscovered, it would be an absolute unrecognised classic. I think that's true of a lot of the missing stories. You only need to look at Enemy of the World, which has been largely disregarded by Doctor Who fandom for years. And then the thing turns up. Yeah, and you find out that the single surviving episode was actually the dullest episode of the entire lot, and it's a really good story. Much as we both suspect, the space pirate suffers from. Yes. The one thing I must say is that the sound quality is exceptional. Of all the missing CD soundtracks that have been put out, this is one of the best. It's crystal clear, which does enhance the listening experience. There's no getting around it. So, from my point of view, I put it in the CD player, not expecting to be wowed, because I thought, well, if I've not come back to it after all this time, I can't have been that blown away to start with. But I think it came during a period where they were being released fairly regularly. So you listen to one, and then the next month there was another one, or yeah. however long after. A bit like Big Finish suffers from now. You never really get a chance to listen to anything and really digest it before the next one's out and you're thrown into that. 
So it's possibly that it was saturation at that particular time. Coming back to it now, this is very definitely worthy of reappraisal. The comedy aspect of it is very prevalent, certainly for the first three episodes. That drops away sharply during episode four. Absolute comedy gold, the bit where the Doctor has to come up with a way of breaching the walls of Troy and really doesn't want to use the horse because he's convinced that's an invention of Homer. So he comes up with this dreadful idea of paper aeroplanes on catapults and things. That whole sequence, it comes across as absolutely hilarious. Yeah. What is it? Well, what does it look like? Looks like a parchment dart to me. We can build a much larger one, capable of carrying a man. Hmm? Mm, I suppose so. What good would that be? Oh, think, my dear Odysseus, a whole fleet of them, carrying a company of soldiers over the walls and into Troy. Hmm? How would we get them into the air? Catapults. Catapults? <laughs> that sounds like a vulgar oath to me. Nonsense. A catapult is... Uh... Well, you could make one for yourself out of strips of oxide and secure both ends, and then stretch it out like a bowstring. Hmm? I see. Allow me to demonstrate. You place the flying machine thus, and let it go. What happens? The machine flies in the air with a soldier clinging to its back. That Hmm? might be quite an idea. Thank you. I thought you'd like it. Agamemnon wouldn't do it, though. Well, anyone could do it for that matter. I mean, even a child could operate it. I'm very glad to hear you say that, Doctor. Excellent. And you shall have the honour of being the first man to fly. There's a lot of that in there. And the humour is actually quite English, which does take you out of the whole Greek thing for quite a while. You have to sort of tune into the fact that all the characters are portrayed in this English sitcom style rather than any attempt to be... Greek. But once you've got your head around that, and there's quite a high level of piss-takery, and all these great Greek legends are all deconstructed into rather silly men that have been ramped up in history as gods. Once you get your head around that, actually the story starts to make a lot of sense. And you see it for what it is, and it's a version of telling a story. It's certainly not a traditional way of telling that particular myth, but it's very, very entertaining. And I would love to see some of the visuals on this, particularly, as you say, the horse. And again, listen to the Missing Episodes podcast episode on this, because they give a very good and detailed breakdown of the literary background to it in terms of Troilus and Cressida and and all the other stuff I can't remember because I'm science, not arts. But they do a brilliant breakdown of it and is very, very well worth a listen to. What I would say is that it had a cliffhanger. And actually, all the cliffhangers are pretty good. But there is one that I absolutely loved. And that was the cliffhanger to episode two, where Stephen is brought in as a spy. And he's acting the part of the Greek diomedy. Vicky has taken the role of Cressida and he walks in and they just say each other's names and both of their cover stories completely fall apart. And Cassandra is there crowing her little socks off saying, spy, spy, spy. It is absolutely wonderful because it is not built up and telegraphed. It's just somebody walking into a room and two friends recognising each other. And that becomes a huge drama. I loved that. Paris, when will you learn to stop bursting in here when I'm busy? Here, Diori. Come on, step lively now. Stephen, what on earth are you... What was that he called her? 
You heard, didn't you? That was the name she called herself when we found her. And she recognized him, too. Since he's a Greek, what more proof do you need that she's a spy? God, kill her. Kill both of them. There's little bits uh, all the way through like that. And I do like the way that they turn up and the Doctor's immediately mistaken for Zeus. He immediately runs with it. And you know damn well that the wheels are going to come off this fairly quickly when somebody with a bit of common sense turns up. And it does, of course. But Cassandra is all the way through portrayed as the villain of the piece. And she's the only one who's actually spouting any common sense. It's just that she's portrayed as this villain. I don't think she's portrayed as a villain. She's portrayed as the boy who cried wolf. She's she's built her career on dramatic doomsaying. And then when it actually comes to the point where the doom is coming, nobody really believes her because it's her stock in trade to stay Danger Will Robinson. (laughs) So they don't take any notice of her, even when she's the one that's coming out with the common sense. The humour in it, though, coming back to that, it's been levelled at the Romans over the years that that was Doctor Who's first attempt at out-and-out comedy. I've always had a real soft spot for the Romans. Because the the comedy comes from Nero the Idiot. The characters around aren't really comedy characters. They're just humouring this completely insane leader with... The Myth Makers, it's a cast of comedy characters, really. It's a cast of comedy characters until you hit episode four. Ah, And then about halfway through, it completely flips from comedy, fun, 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 to absolute tragedy. And we're saving her for Agamemnon and all the highborns go to him for execution. And yeah. Yeah, the second half of episode four is not exactly a fun fest. And in actual fact, it's not long before episode four changes the tone completely. You've had three episodes of knockabout romp. There's no getting away from it. There's no real high drama in any of them. Even the fight scenes are all a bit comedy slapstick. Oh, look, I've won because he's killed himself or something. There's no genuine heroics involved. It's all happenstance and just sheer flukery. But with all of the fight scenes, they're all done between characters who don't actually want to fight. Uh, yes, that's true. I mean, so even it, in the end, um, which one is it? Is it Troilus or Paris goes off to fight Stephen? Paris. Troilus never actually fights anybody, I don't think. Oh, no, yes, he does. He does in the first episode, doesn't he? Doesn't he? No, no, no. He, he does in the, the final episode. Vicky sent him out of Troy to try and save him, and he runs into, is it Odysseus he runs into? And they fight, and Troilus ends up being injured, and Vicky comes along and rescues him because when he runs into Odysseus, he thinks that Vicky's betrayed him. Yes, that's right, yes. So he he does have his dramatic fight scene. Now, what I have to say is, looking at the pictures, Vicky and Troilus, no way do you believe they're 16. Uh, <clears throat> maybe stretching the envelope a little bit there, yes. Yeah. But on the whole, I was so impressed with the Mythmakers. The one thing that we haven't addressed is the elephant in the room, the Trojan horse in the room, Katerina. Well, she's almost not in it. She's, what, got about three scenes where she goes, yes, no, meh. Um, <laughs> yeah. She, I mean, she seems very crowbarred in right at the very end, as though it's a sort of, oh, fuck, Vicky's leaving and we have to replace her with something. Which is odd, because 
Vicky's leaving is very, very well scripted. And she starts off with the whole we'll call you Cressida and the relationship with Troilus built up over episodes. So Vicky's leaving comes across as very planned. But the final episode, it seems that, oh, fuck, we've got nothing to replace Vicky with. Whip up a random character that we'll throw in. And never mind, because we're going to kill her off four episodes later. Random handmaiden. It's the oddest choice for a companion that I think there's ever been. How that was ever conceived it was going to work, I have no idea. I have heard suggestions that Vicky was actually the one that was supposed to be killed in Dalek's Master Plan 4, which would have been unbelievable. Why didn't they do that? I mean, the other side of the coin is she gets a really good exit here and she really gets to exercise not just her comedy muscles, but her acting muscles, Mm. which she generally wasn't given to do very often. Actually, even in this, she's not really front and centre. She's heavily involved in the plot. But it's still a a Doctor and Stephen Ford story. But that's Doctor Who of the 60s. Uh, True, yeah. I mean, it could be far worse. Vicky could be written off screen like Dodo was. But no, it's not a bad exit for Vicky. It's a touch on the unbelievable side. Coming from as far in the future as she does, she would be perfectly happy setting up camp for the rest of her life in ancient Greece. How believable is that? But it is written in such a way, right? For, it's not just crowbar in right at the end, Leela style. Oh, look, Doctor, I've fallen in love with this random person that I've had very little interaction in romantically for the entire story. It is built right from the start that she's she quite fancies Troilus. Yeah, and the whole thing about her coping in a primitive society. Her introduction to the story was in a crashed spaceship where she'd basically had to make do and mend with one other survivor who was, as far as she was concerned, bedbound. So her coping and having to make do with not much in the way of modern facilities, she already had some experience of that. True. I've really, really enjoyed revisiting Mythmakers. It shocked me in a way I didn't expect to be. And on the basis of us doing this, it's made me look at the CD collection on the shelf and think... Space Pirates. Space Pirates is definitely high up the list. I've always had a bit of a soft spot for it. I think largely because it is the underdog, and it's had such hate poured on it over the years. Maybe that's turned me against the tide of hate. That's not always true with Doctor Who. Uh, Sometimes they do hate things for a very good reason, but Space Pirates I don't think deserves it. Uh, So I am looking forward to doing that one, yeah. The final thing we have to do for the Mythmakers is decide on earworms. This is the song that never ends. Yes, it goes on and on, my friends. So out of ten, how many earworms would you give this? I'm going to give it eight. It was a very nice surprise, this one. I was I went into it expecting it to be another run-of-the-mill 60s Doctor Who audio that didn't really grip me because it hasn't gripped me for at least ten years. I was really pleasantly surprised, and it's one that, to be honest, I'd like to go back and listen to fairly soon. Because as you say, I've only listened to this once for the podcast, I know you've listened to it twice, but I feel the stuff that I would get out of it by giving it another go. I think I'm going to give it nine, because it's 60s Doctor Who, which is my happy place. Hartnell and Stephen, which is one of the best teams of the early years of Doctor Who. It's a really, really entertaining story, and I would very happily listen to it again. 
The only real criticism I can come across is that there's a really big change of pace halfway through episode four that jars a little bit and it goes from lighthearted comedy to massacre tragedy. But actually, thematically, that's quite reasonable because it's halfway between the out-and-out comedy of the Romans and the Crusade with some sort of sharp edges to it. So you've got some kind of nasty stuff with the slavery in the Romans. You've got some nastier stuff in the Crusade. And then after the Mythmakers, you've got the massacre, which is just all a bit grim. Very good, but grim. So Mythmakers is kind of halfway house between those. I really, really enjoyed this, so it is worth a nine for me. Sorry, that's a very long-winded way of saying it, but it's a nine. We need to recommend something for the boys and girls to listen to. What's our podcast of the week? Podcast of the week is... Really tying in with the Exton Moss experiments, and it's another wildly entertaining archive television podcast called RetroTube. Oh, good choice. Anybody who hasn't come across RetroTube, the second this finishes, put it into your podcatcher and experience the joy that is Heather and Adam geeking out about a whole mix of sci-fi stuff. Now, there's ITC, there's Blake 7, there's some slightly weird stuff, but good weird. They're incredibly entertaining, very passionate about their love of archive television, which is something that we can relate to. Well worth a listen. I would heartily agree with that, yes. It's got a beautiful innocence to it, RetroTube, because Heather is coming to a lot of things blind. As is Adam from the... Yes, it's a two-way street, that one. But very much like me and you, I come to a lot of things blind, and you've come to certain things blind. And that actually produces some of the best commentaries when somebody is completely unfamiliar with it. So, yeah, good recommendation. And on that note, we will happily, cheerfully sign off. We can really, really recommend The Mythmakers. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here that we've both enjoyed this one. Oh, absolutely. And actually, there's so much more to say about this. It, it was incredibly entertaining. It's a sadly missing chunk of Doctor Who history. I know we're deliberately trying to limit the time that we spend yabbering on. So I'm not going to talk about some of the other stuff I love, like just how bitchy the Greeks are to the Doctor or... <laughs> how ineffectual some of the Trojans are or how piss-takey Priam is to pretty much all of his children. It's a joy. Go and listen to it. End of story. It's been released so many times now on CD in various forms and box sets. I think it's even been released on vinyl. It's one of those little lost bits of Doctor Who. It really should have more love than it does. Yeah, if you have any joy for 60s Doctor Who... This will make you very happy. And if it doesn't, there's something wrong with you, frankly. But join us next time when we shall be looking at the BBC radio adaptation of Miss Marple, Murder at the Vicarage. With the wondrous June Whitfield, who is, after Joan Hickson, possibly my favourite Miss Marple. I'm glad you said but after we'll... Joan Hickson, there is nobody else for the top spot. Absolutely. But we'll talk about that next time. We will. Thank you very much for listening to us, boys and girls. Hope you've enjoyed it. Do go and search out the Mythmakers, but we'll be back next time. Goodbye now.
archive of audio antiquities featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, and the announcer was Jenny at Blue Box 99. All featured soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. Title music was by Edward White, and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.